This morning we're going to start with uh, Christian and Allison Clower, and they're going to, Clore, my bad, I did their wedding, you know, <laughs> so sorry about that, oh man, all right, people mispronounce my name all the time, <laughs> not really, but anyway, all right, take it away, I'm going to stop talking now. All right, so as Matt said, um, we are Christian and Allison Clore. Um, we are here for the summer. Both of us are interning um, in the fall, and during the school year, we are out in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary, uh, which is where Matt and Justin went, um, so it's an awesome place. Shout out to Asbury. Um, <laughs> and uh, so for the summer, we will be interning here, and so we'll be doing a bunch of different things, um, and I'm going to highlight a couple of those that we would just really like to encourage you to participate in um, in the coming weeks during the summer. Um, so Tuesday nights, uh, obviously Weaver Street Market is going on. Um, we are going to be kind of heading that up. Uh, so we will be there every single week. So if you need a face to look for, um, we will be there. Uh, so that's Tuesday at 7 at Weaver Street Market. Um, and usually we're there for a couple hours. So if you're, if you're late, it's totally fine. Um, we'll still be there. Um, Wednesday mornings, um, we are going to be having a time of prayer uh, for the city. Um, so if you want to join us on a prayer walk, we'll be up and down Franklin Street. Um, sometimes we'll go over to campus. Sometimes we're going to be in other parts of the city. Um, but we're always going to meet right here at the Varsity um, at, at 8 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Um, and if you can't be there during that time, but you still want to partner with us in praying over the city, um, come and find us after the service. Um, and other than that, just come and generally find us after service and get to know us more. Awesome. Thank you. So now we're going to read from Exodus. There we go. Um, chapter 6, starting with verse 28. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command to you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with the mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses's, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform, uh, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also, and did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 
Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Let's give it up for them. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I encourage you guys to get to know them, spend some time with them uh, over the course of the summer, learn to pronounce their last name, things like that. (laughs) (laughs) They are amazing people. We believe in them deeply. Uh, Many of you have known Allison for a really long time and um, and just the important role that she's played in this church from early, early days. So uh, be sure you take advantage of of that chance this summer to, to be with them. Jesus. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of the way you speak to us through worship, even though we're singing to you. We're opening our hearts up to you, and yet you are speaking to us. You're drawing us into your heart in those moments, and we thank you for the way that the team led us today and led us right into the center of that. And we could just sense that as we sang that last song together. And we declare that that's true about who you are. You're the lion and the lamb. You are the conquering king. That is who you are. And we celebrate that today. And we're going to be leaning into that today. So please teach us from your word. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Help us to hear you. And even more importantly, help us to respond to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A couple important things uh, coming up this week that I want everybody to be aware of. Um, One, on July 4th, we're actually going to be meeting here uh, for, uh, we're going to be showing the Incredibles, all right, Incredibles 2. And so that'll be fun. Come hang out. We'll do that. And then uh, and then there'll be pizza as well as a part of that. And then we're going to walk together uh, to fireworks at Keenan Stadium. Uh, So that'll be a great time. Come hang out with us. And uh, also next Sunday, July 8th, uh, the evening at, uh, at 5 o'clock, all right, from 5 to 7 at the Foundry, we're going to do a celebration for Jason and Amber Tuggle. And uh, as you guys know, um, in, in a few weeks, July 15th is the Sunday that we'll be sending Jason and Amber and Emmy Lou out uh, as they go and take a new ministry assignment uh, in Thomasville, North Carolina. And so we, we're just behind them, we celebrate them, and we want to really communicate to them on this day, next Sunday, July 8th, at this gathering, 5 o'clock at the Foundry. We want to celebrate them and tell them how much we appreciate everything that they have done uh, from the beginning of this church. Uh, they were here at the very beginning and such a core part um, of every step along the way. So we want to communicate our love to them. Uh, we have a, a picture that is in the lobby today that you can sign. It's a picture of the varsity. And so um, and then there's a place for people to write a note and to sign that. Um, and that's something that Jason will uh, hang in his uh, new office so that they'll remember. Uh, remember us. We're better. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but just as a, that, that memory of something to take take with him. Um, you guys mean so much to him. And uh, this church as a whole means so much to him. And we want to 
just tell him back how much he means to us. So uh, at that time, too, if, if, if any of you want to give special gifts that are more personal that you want to give to them personally, we really encourage that as well. Maybe there's something that's been a part of your story together. So many of us have those intimate moments with them and things that, that we've shared. And so if you want to give them a gift that reflects that, then we really encourage that, too. Um, just we want them to know um, over and over again how much we love them. So come on out and, and help us celebrate that night for, for that. Awesome. All right, we're diving in uh, to this next place, uh, the next passage in, in the book of Exodus. Allison Otwell last week, our pastor of congregational care, did an excellent job on the, the message that she brought last week that was so good. And I enjoyed listening to that on, on the podcast, and it just spoke right to me. Um, so we're building on where she took us last week, okay? So we're in this moment where, where Moses and Aaron are being sent back to Pharaoh again. Uh, they're being sent back to Pharaoh, and God is saying, I'm, I'm giving you this sign. I've already shown you this sign, and now you're going to show this sign to Pharaoh, and it's going to be proof that I am moving in your lives that I am behind what is happening here. And so Moses comes back with this answer when God sends him again. And he says, why God, why me? Like, why, why would Pharaoh ever listen to me since I have these faltering lips? He says, why did you give the message to me? Why are you sending me into this? Last week, one of the things that Allison led us through is that weight that Moses was carrying for the people. God, why did you send me in here if you're just going to keep doing this to, this to these people? If me going in and confronting Pharaoh is going to make life more difficult on these people that you said you were going to set free, what are we even doing here? What are you up to? And now God is telling him to go back and he's coming back with this thing of since I speak with faltering lips, why in the world would Pharaoh ever listen to me? Moses is often portrayed in these scenes early on in the book um, as being kind of annoying to people, right? Sometimes people will preach on this and like, come on, Moses, get it through your head. What are you thinking? Think about what God has already shown you. And sometimes they talk about Moses as being stubborn or sometimes they talk about Moses as being faithless in these scenes. I don't see Moses that way in these scenes. I appreciate the way the Bible presents Moses in these scenes because I can relate to this Moses far better than I can relate to the hero who splits open the sea. I can relate to him far better than I can the, the man who uses the, the staff of God to bring down 10 plagues on the empire of Egypt. Or this man who goes up on this mountaintop and meets with God in this consuming fire on a mountaintop. Right. That's difficult for me to relate to. But this Moses right here, I, I can I can relate to him. I can relate to him. This is one of the things I love the most about Scripture we believe that Scripture is true, don't we? Absolutely. We believe that Scripture is true, and we also believe that Scripture is honest. There's a slight difference in those two words, all right? But Scripture is honest, and it gives us an honest portrayal of the wrestling of some of these people that we lift up as heroes. And it gives us this inside look into what is happening in Moses' heart and it draws us right into it. And we say we would do the exact same thing if we were in Moses' place. We would do 
that exact same thing. So we can relate to this to this Moses. I've been in those places where in the private moment I've wrestled with God and I've wondered, what in the world are you thinking? You've got the wrong person. Anybody else been in those spots before? God, you cannot have this plan, right? You've got this completely mixed up. But we're reminded as the story continues to progress and this picture right here gives us a glimpse of it gives us a lens for us to see the whole rest of the story through and it reminds us that Moses is not set up here as this like master of leadership that we often look at him as not as this person of great vision not even as a person of great faith and it says it's not about the vision of Moses it's not about the faith of Moses it's about the surrender of Moses That's what Moses really brings to this story. And God provides all of the rest of it. He simply asks Moses to surrender. Simply do what I'm telling you to do. Simply say what I'm telling you to say. What I'm asking from you you for is obedience and surrender. That's what I want. I don't want your vision. I don't want your leadership. I don't want your talent. I don't want your gifts. I want your surrender and I want your obedience and I will bring the rest of it. I will bring the rest of it. That's what it is. That's what this faith is about. It's not about what you muster up. It's about what you're willing to lay down. It's about what you're willing to lay down and he does the rest. It's not the eloquence of Moses that's going to loosen the grip of Pharaoh on these people. It's not his speaking ability that's going to lead these people into this new freedom that God's promised them. It's the power of God whose word echoes forth with bondage breaking possibilities. And that's where the power is. That's where it rests, even when it's coming from faltering lips. It's the word of God. That's where the power is, not in the shaky voice that delivers it. Read the word, y'all. Read the word. Get into the word in your life. Immerse yourself in the word. There is power in the word of God. Immerse yourself in the word so that you can know the word, so that then you can speak the word boldly. And it's the word of God that does the work. That's where the power is. Strangely, as we look throughout scripture, and even as we look through history, we see that over and over again, this is how God seems to consistently operate, right? He seems to operate in this way. When he wants to do something through a group of people or with a group of people, he often starts with just one person, right? His whole plan for the people of Israel at this point, he's beginning with one person. And he's asking for the surrender of one person. When he wants to form and shape a people for himself, he often starts that work in one person. When he wants to transform a society, he begins the change in one person. And when he wants to lead a church into new places, he often starts with the surrender and obedience of one person. Often it's one person who feels woefully unfit and inadequate and underqualified. And God says, that's exactly what I need. I can work with that. Will you give me your surrender 
and I will provide the rest. So my question to you is this. What is God up to here and now? We see what he's up to here in the book of Exodus because we can see the broader story. But what is God up to here and now? What is he doing among this group of people? And what is he starting in one person in this room? What is he doing in this town? And what is he starting in one person in this room? What is he doing in our broader culture and society? And how is he starting that in the life of one person in this room? All he asks for is your surrender and your obedience. Can you give him that? And he will provide the rest. Maybe that one person is you. Maybe it's you. God, what can I possibly do? Surrender, and I'll do the rest. Surrender, and I'll do the rest. Many of you look around at what is happening in our culture, and there's this deep sense of angst that you carry about it. What's he asking you to do about it? He's definitely not asking you just to post about it. What's he asking you to do about it? But I could not me. I could. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. What do you want to see happen in this church? You look around and you see what could be and you get a sense and a glimpse and a vision of where God might be taking us. And there's this sense of angst in your heart as you look at the gap between where we are and where we could possibly go. And maybe it's you. Maybe he's starting with you. Will you surrender and let him lead you so you can lead his people? Often that's how God does it. He sets out to do a great work in a group of people, but he begins that work with one simple person. And maybe it's you. Then we move into this portion of the story that really creeps me out. All right, let's be honest. The snake part. I hate snakes, y'all. All right, I hate snakes. Uh, right before we moved here, when I was a kid, we lived in a place called Bagley Swamp, North Carolina. <laughs> yes, that exists. You can't find it on a map, but it exists. All right. And as you can imagine, in a place called Bagley Swamp, man, I hated snakes, all right? I remember one time as a kid riding my bike in our driveway. I'm not out on some nature trail somewhere. I'm in our driveway, and I ride my bike right over a rattlesnake. That's not a good day, all right? You, just, you pedal faster then, like you like E.T. up into the air with your bike. <laughs> At that point... Oh, man, I remember my younger brother, Josh, we were at church and he's walking in front of the church, like right by the steps of the church. And he's just walking along little kid. All right. And this snake had had bitten the back of his shoe and was like dragging along the back of his shoe. <laughs> and being a good brother, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> just kidding. I remember my older brother, Chris. When we found a snake in the toilet in the upstairs bathroom. Is that right, Dad? Yes, exactly. All right. So we just burned that part of the house to the ground. <laughs> Time to move. God's calling us to Chapel Hill, people. 
Peace out, Bagley Swamp. All right. I hate snakes, okay? So this part of the story really creeps me out. But snakes are, are actually a, a meaningful symbol throughout this book. And when you dig into Egyptian history and the context of what is happening here, you see the important role that the imagery of a snake played in this culture. It was important to them in a lot of different ways. It represented power. It represented royalty. It even represented deity. One of the earliest known Egyptian gods was represented by this image of the snake. It's why you see in so many of the, the depictions of ancient Egypt, you see the pharaohs being depicted wearing this headwear that has the cobra image as a crown for them because it was the symbol of their power for the people, symbol of their deity and a symbol of that royalty. The imagery of the snake is entwined with ancient Egypt. So you get the sense as Moses and Aaron as Moses and Aaron are being sent back in to confront Pharaoh and they've got the staff and God has told them what's going to happen with this staff and he's already shown them the way that this is going to happen. You get this sense that they know that God is speaking the language of the Egyptian people. And, and when they throw the staff down, it's going to be this symbolism to them that, yes, God has power, too. This is a real God. This is a real God with real power. And so they're ready for this. And, and when the, the time comes, they throw the, the staff to the ground. They throw it on the ground. And then this this miracle takes place. And it turns into a serpent. And they had to be glad that really works that time, right? Because they're in that clutch moment. And yet, they are shocked and surprised. As the Egyptian magicians are called in. And the Egyptian sorcerers are brought in. And they are able somehow to mimic this miracle with their own magic. Now, scholars are all over the place on what they think might have happened and the way that they can explain that they did this. Okay, so they're all over the map and most of them end with, but we really have no clue, all right? We don't know. And it doesn't matter because that's not the point of the story. That's not the point of the story. But you can imagine as that happens, as then the Egyptian magicians throw their rods to the ground, their staffs to the ground, they turn into snakes too. Can you imagine the confusion for Moses and Aaron in that moment? They're like, wait a minute, that was our thing. <laughs> All right. They just did that. Like you sent us in here and you told us we were going to do the staff and the snake. And that was going to be the thing. You did not prepare us for the fact that they could do the thing as well. And it happens in this moment of confusion. And Moses and Aaron are stuck. And the magicians are probably laughing and Pharaoh is probably mocking. And then in this unforeseen move, I love this moment. It says that then the staff turned serpent of Moses and Aaron swallows up the other snakes. Probably turns back into a staff, pops back up into their hand and they're like, what? All right. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I love this moment. I love this moment. Not only because snakes get eaten up and get their due, all right? But because it demonstrates the power of God. There are a couple of important things that we need to take from this moment. Number one, 
One of the things that stands out to us is this. We need to remember that the enemy has power too. Now we live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Some of you live in Durham. Some of you live in Raleigh. Some of you live in Borough, Hillsboro. This is a very sophisticated place in which we live. Very highly educated. And sometimes when you get really educated, you can forget some of the most basic things. Do not be so sophisticated in your faith. You're blind to the obvious reality. The enemy has power too. And that power is real. And there is a spiritual struggle at play in this world that you cannot see. And yet when you take a step back, and you begin to take account of all of the things that are happening in the world. You cannot deny it. There is a spiritual struggle at play in this world. Never forget that the enemy has power too. The enemy has power too. But the second thing that we have to remember here is this. Remember that the enemy has power. But never forget for a second that God has infinitely more. God has infinitely more. This is not a fair fight that we are caught up in. Our team is stacked. Our team is stacked. You guys know I love C.S. Lewis. Have you ever uh, read the screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis? This is brilliant. All right. This is his imaginative way and really creative way of looking at this kind of incident that we're talking about here. And what he does in this is he pretends uh, that he's writing, uh, pretends that he has like come, like found these letters of a senior devil written to a junior devil in training. All right. So this master devil, like master of the craft, who's like teaching his young uh, nephew, like how to really be a good tempter as a devil. Okay. And so the uncle is screw tape and he's writing to his nephew Wormwood. But here's what C.S. Lewis says in the beginning. And you should read that. It's a really creative way to look to temptation. And here's what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall when it comes to these devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and yet to fill an excessive an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist or a magician with the same delight. I think that's so true. It's easy for us to fall into one side of this, either to be so sophisticated that we deny the existence and we ignore the spiritual struggle that is happening all around us, or to be so obsessed with it that we give the devil way more credit than he deserves. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to find the devil under every rock. I don't want to blame him for everything that happens in my life. But even more than that, I never want to forget that God's power is infinitely greater than the power of the enemy. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. God's power is infinitely greater. We see here in this moment that the magicians copied Aaron and Moses. They copied them. And there's something important about that. 
God is the creator. And all Satan can do is manipulate and twist what has already been created. He cannot create. The devil cannot create. God is the creator. And sin is simply a twisting and a manipulation of what was once good. He can't pull something out of nothing. That's God's ability and God's alone. All he can do is to twist and manipulate. And we see that from the very beginning of the story. He takes truth and he turns it. And he uses that to bring sin into the world in the first place. But God's power is unlimited and unrivaled. And his creative ability always can overcome. He can always overcome. We have to remember that good and evil are not on equal footing in this world. Yahweh has no equal and he has no rival. Amen? Amen. I love this moment when the staff of Moses and Aaron swallows the others. It's interesting the language that's used here too and the the way that they use the word serpent. The word serpent is different for what Moses and Aaron's staff turns into than what the others turn into. And it's like there's a sense of greatness and greater power. I love it. This is the God who says, I am. And in this moment, in this showdown moment between Pharaoh and all the power of Egypt, God says, I am and they are not. I am and they are not. Or in the ancient Hebrew, I am and y'all ain't. (laughs) Pretty sure that's correct. Somebody check that for me, all right? (laughs) Here's the thing, though. We know this. And already your mind is going there and already your mind is making the connection and we want to learn more and more. We want to keep diving more and more so that we can understand how to make the connections to the broader story. That's the best way for us to understand scripture. We want to understand it in the context of the passage that it's in, in the context of the culture and time in which it's happening, but also in the context of the larger story. And how does this one scene fit into the larger story and what is it telling us about the whole and we understand in this moment that yes the snake is important to the culture of Egypt but also the imagery of the snake is important to the culture of scripture and so in this moment we can see a broader thing that is happening where does the story of the exodus begin we've talked about this before where does the story of the exodus begin in Genesis at Genesis chapter 1 Where does the story of the Exodus end? In Revelation. In Revelation. So what we see playing out right here in this moment of the staff of God in the hand of Moses and Aaron swallowing up the snakes of Egypt. It gives us a glimpse forward of a promise that we've learned back in the book of Genesis. When, when God tells his people that the serpent, the serpent that tempted people into sin in the beginning, in the end, the heel of humanity will crush the head of the serpent. That's the great promise. He is the triumphant king. And this king enters into death so that he can swallow up death with everlasting life. That's the reality 
of who Jesus is. And so in this moment, we get this small glimpse into the great story of humanity. Exodus is a, is, is a glimpse of, of humanity's great story. It's why so many times throughout history, people come back to this story. And they lean on this story for inspiration when they're in a time of needing deliverance. They lean on this story for inspiration when they're in a time of needing God's miraculous direction. Over and over again, people keep coming back to this story and they claim it as their own and they use it as a guide and they use it as hope for the moment that they're in. Do you think it's a mistake that God led us into this book at this point in time? I don't. I don't. As we are in a point in our culture where we're seeing so much connection to what is happening in this book, to the power dynamics that are happening in this book, to the hope of deliverance that we see playing out in this book. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake that God led us to this book to study this as a church together at a moment in which we're about to enter a transition like we've never experienced before as a church. As we get ready to send Jason and Amber and Emmy Lou and bless them as they go, we understand that for us, this is a time of transition like we've never experienced. One of our core staff members, we've never had this happen before in nine years of history of this church. My Facebook memories from this morning reminded me that on July 1st, 2009, we had our very first worship at the well as a church. It's interesting, isn't it? We're in this point of transition. We're in this point of transition. We had our very first worship service nine years ago today. And here we are at this point of transition. And I don't think it's a mistake that God is speaking to us and telling us, look, I know things are happening that you weren't expecting. I know things are happening and you don't know what's coming next. Trust me, I've got it. I've got it. I'm leading you. I'm paving the way. There will be more unexpected things coming at you. And in those moments, keep surrendering, keep obeying. I can work in more than one story at once. And we believe that. We know God is working in Jason's story, and we know God is working in ours. And we trust him in that as he's leading us. The Holy Spirit is the greatest strategist that any church could ever ask for. And he knows what he's doing. He's leading us into places that we don't even know where we're going and we don't even know why we need to be there yet. But he's leading us and we're going to trust him. And like Moses, we might wrestle with it. We might have questions about why, but we're always going to keep coming back to that surrender and that obedience. And we're going to trust him in it. We invite you to come forward in just a moment here. And we're going to seal our service today by sharing in the Lord's Supper. And as we do that today, it's a reminder to us of this God who overcomes. This is the great power that we rely on. We realize that there is a great spiritual struggle at work in our world. And we realize that the power of the enemy is real 
but we also know and believe with all of our hearts that God's power is infinitely greater and he's shown it again and again and again. And he is the king who faced down death and swallowed it up and said, what else do you have? We celebrate that today. We're going to come forward in just a moment. There'll be a, a station here and a station here. And if you actually, there'll just, just be one station today. OK, we're going to just do one station today. We'll be right here. And so you can come forward and tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you need a gluten free option, then that will be available here as well. Another part that happens during communion every week is we have a prayer team and people that are dedicated to be here every single week to pray over you. And I want to challenge you today. If you find yourself in a moment of spiritual wrestling. If you find yourself in a moment right now in your life. Where you are encountering the very real power of the enemy in your life. And you're wrestling with that. You find yourself here in the great courtroom of Pharaoh and the magicians have just dropped their staffs as well. And you're in a moment where you feel like you're being overcome. You're in a moment where you feel like you're suffering and you're in bondage. Then we have people here to pray over you. And they will speak into your life things that you don't even know to say that you don't even know to pray for. But they will speak that bondage breaking possibility of the blood of Jesus and the power of Yahweh over your life. And they will pray over you and they will speak that truth. Yahweh has no equal and Yahweh has no rival and his power can overcome. We invite you to come and experience the power of God today through the broken body and blood of Jesus. The body that was broken. The struggle, man, I'm telling you, <laughs> I told y'all it's real. <laughs> it's not a phone book, but it's close. All right. <laughs> it might be. It might be a touch stale. All right. Just this is the first Sunday that all of y'all are like gluten free, please. <laughs> Also, I'm going to start working out before next week. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Come and partake. If you dare. I'm kidding about that part. Come and partake in the broken body of Jesus. The one who gave himself to heal us. The great power who has absolutely overcome. Amen.